On today's show, Draymond Green suspended indefinitely. Was the punishment fair or not? The Suns' big three had a short-lived debut before Bradley Beal got hurt yet again. And Keegan Murray with an insane game for the Sacramento Kings, hitting 12 threes on his way to 47 points. It's all coming up right here on today's Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code lowercase, all lowercase, locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first First listen each and every day, free and available wherever you listen to your podcast, including YouTube, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Warriors, Cyrus Sotsa, so you can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube, just search Locked On Warriors. Here to talk about Draymond Green, who finds himself on the wrong side of a, I don't guess there's not a right side of a suspension, but suspended indefinitely after his incident involving uh, center Yusuf Nurkic uh, Mm -hmm. for the Phoenix Suns earlier this past week. Uh, Draymond with the, the, the flailing clearly pretty, I mean, I at least clear to me, pretty intentional, you know, striking of, of, Nurkic, right? He argued that he was trying to break free from Nurkic and then he spun around and struck him in the head. Nurkic was down on the ground is this whole thing. And this is just Cyrus. It's another in a long line of incidents involving Draymond Green. There was a lot Mm of, you know, question marks about how the NBA was going to choose to handle this. And they decided to hand out the indefinite Suspension. So let's kind of start with just your reaction to this, you know, situation with Draymond. Yet another situation with Draymond coming not even a, a few weeks after, not even after the chokehold that he put Rudy Gobert in and was suspended for five games already this season. So your reaction to this latest incident from Draymond? It's it's the incident that I think uh, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. What I mean by that is it's. It's hard to find anyone defending Dre now. Um, even his most ardent supporters uh, are, are are kind of staying quiet on this one, if not even criticizing him along with everyone else. It's indefensible. I mean, there, there's you know, it's it's a uh, it's it's there's it's just been too much of 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 the violence of the contact. Um, there are some weird, interesting wrinkles. Like, for example, I think uh, Gilbert Arenas and someone else brought up the fact that all these incidents involve, with the exception of LeBron James in the 2016 finals, they all involve international players, whether it's Steven Adams, whether it's DeMontis Sabonis, whether it's Nurkic, whether it's uh, Rudy Gobert. Uh, so that's a, that's a, I, I'm guessing that's random in all this. I don't know if, if, if Draymond Green is targeting international players, but um, regardless, it's just there's no defense to it. It's It's one of those things where, it was a little surprising seeing the the indefinite tag. Um, I was personally expecting more, a more hard number, like twenty games. I thought I was expecting a, a, a hammer to drop, a, a clear cut statement. Instead, we got the more empathetic uh, response from the NBA, the compassionate response. Uh, almost, you know, there, there's 
there's a weird sentimentality with this suspension because people are even Nurkic, even Gobert are sympathizing um, with Draymond, uh, you know, happy seeking help. Maybe he needs it. Who knows? But um, there, there was a meeting late last week with uh, Draymond Green, his agent, Rich Paul, uh, and um, to, to fi- and and the, and the commissioner to figure out what this is going to mean, what the steps forward are. You know, for example, like what does counseling mean exactly? Right. First of all, the NBA didn't use that word. Shams Sharnia reported that. Uh, that part of the the wrinkle here in terms of how to get rid of the suspension was to get some sort of help uh, in the form of counseling. But who knows what that means even? I mean, does that mean a psychiatrist? Uh, are we talking medicine? Is is he going to talk this out with therapeutic means, with a psychologist? Uh, you know, who knows? There's a lot of details here that are murky. Um, but I, I think the bottom line is he went too far for those still defending him I, I know a lot of people for a lot of people he went too far a while ago if not fairly recently with gobert um but i think in almost everyone's eyes it's now near unanimous he's gone too far he needs help and uh you know and, and the interesting thing i think on top of everything else is when he comes back is is was this a product of frustration meaning like is this a declining player who is lashing out um, is this something rooted psychologically that he needs help for? We're going to find out, but it is crazy. And what what I'm trying to wrap my head around here is, it, it, look, first off, the indefinite tag, you know, I think in every indefinite suspension that the NBA has handed out historically, it, it, it's gone like maybe like eight or nine games before the indefinite tag was lifted. Correct. Um, we most recently saw the indefinite tag with John ja Morant, and then, and then you know, he was got out for eight or nine games while he did his recovery process and everything, and then the, he got the subsequent suspension that he's still serving currently in this season. But the indefinite tag only got him the eight or nine games last year. But the point is, yeah, it's going to be eight or nine games, but I'm much more fascinated with the basketball side of things and, and seeing what's going to happen to the Warriors because the fan base rightfully so is not happy. Um, And if you look at the product, I don't think you even need to be an expert to look at this Warriors team and think to yourself, this is not the same Warriors. Um, They're not dominating like they used to be. A lot of the veterans even though Clay Thompson the last few games in the last week or so has has turned the season around offensively and, and we're seeing some some switch with Andrew Wiggins as well. But this is not the same team. And um, I'm very curious to see what happens if the team stays where they are as a 500 or below uh, organization 20 games from now, because Dunleavy Jr. is talking a big game that we might see some changes. And I'm curious to know what those are. And, you know, as this kind of pertains, potentially including Draymond here, in depending on how, how this situation resolves itself, what he looks like when he does come back. I don't want to say if he comes back, when he comes back more than likely, um, however long he serves the indefinite suspension. You, you kind of hinting at, you know, Mike Dunleavy's comments, the big changes. I mean, who would be in your eyes right now if there were to be a big sweeping change made? Is there is there a player or players on this Warriors team that you could see Mike Dunleavy saying, you know what? All right, you're on the trading block. Here's here's the piece. And and could maybe maybe that's Draymond with the way that he's kind of handled himself and his behavior, the suspensions. Maybe there's a team out there that thinks that Draymond is the is the piece that they need to put them over the top, and the Warriors might be able to actually get, you know, some significant value back for him potentially. Yeah, that's a fascinating point you bring up because there are some people who think Draymond Green doesn't have a lot of trade value. And my my pushback to that always is, did you see what Dylan Brooks got with the Houston Rockets? Uh, there is a demand and a need for basketball teams uh, when it comes to players who can actually play defense, who like to play defense, who take pride in it. And in Draymond's situation, there's that added caveat of having 
not just world championship experience, a dynasty experience. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of teams that would want that. Um, so I don't think it's out of the question. Um, I think more realistically, though, Chris Paul would be the most likely trade target just because um, you don't have that sentimental attachment to him like you do with some of these other players. He wasn't a part of any championships. His contract is expiring, which makes him uh, more appealing to a lot of teams looking to, to just bring on a salary that's going to be off the book soon. Um, they do have a, a lot of draft picks, not in the upcoming draft, but beyond that, the Warriors do have picks that they could deal. Um, I, my, look, me personally... I'm at a point where I really hope the Warriors start looking to trade Jonathan Kaminga and maybe even Moses Moody. And this is not because I want those players traded. I think very highly of Kaminga. I think the potential is there for a player who could become a star, if not a superstar someday. And even to a lesser extent, I, I, I feel that way with Moses Moody as well. But Steve Kerr is stubbornly refusing to give these kids minutes, even when they're producing. We, uh, for example, we're recording this tonight. Uh, immediately following the Warriors beating the Trailblazers, and they barely squeaked by that game against one of the worst teams in the NBA. They were doing fine in that game when Kaminga was playing uh, in, in, the, in the first half. He got a long run. He finished the game with a positive net rating, but Kerr benches him for most of the second half so he can give Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson a run. Both those players finished in the negative with net rating. They did make their shots, and I think Kerr's bigger picture here, here is he feels strongly that these veterans can still lead the Warriors to a championship. I, I don't know if I agree with that or not, but in the process, he's hindering the development of these two young players who are both in their third year. And if this is how Kerr feels about him, if he doesn't trust them, trade them, get something back while you can, and don't hurt these players in the process. I mean, their development is being hindered tremendously. And I see their confidence getting shell-shocked with, with each game where they're playing less than they should. So on a per me personally, I, I think you you could and maybe should involve the youngsters because you could probably get something back for them. There's a lot of uh, teams out there who look at Kaminga uh, and see value there. Um, but I think Chris Paul would be the most pragmatic player. Uh, I don't think Clay Thompson would be traded, even if there's a possibility he won't come back next year um, because of a difference in, in contract demands. Um, Wiggins, I don't know how, if he has value uh, for a trade partner. So the, the, the logical step would be Chris Paul. How will the Warriors and the NBA continue to monitor and handle the Draymond Green situation moving forward with the indefinite suspension? And will the Warriors have a big move or some sweeping changes coming down the pipeline as alluded to potentially by uh, Dunleavy? You're going to have us cover for all of that and so much more over at Locked On Warriors. Cyrus, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you. Coming up, the Phoenix Suns Big 3 had a very short-lived debut before Bradley Beal got hurt again. What did we learn about the Big 3 while they were on the court with each other? And how much longer can the Phoenix Suns afford to wait for Bradley Beal to get healthy this season? That's all coming up here in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. PrizePix is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports because it's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you just pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll 
in Price Picks is so simple to play. You can make your picks and submit an entry in less than 60 seconds. They've got quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types, which is what makes Price Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app on the market. And with basketball season here and in full swing, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can do LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three pointers made plus reception. So if you've been thinking about getting into daily fantasy sports, you've got to give prize picks a chance. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code locked on NBA all lowercase for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code locked on NBA for that first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA on Monday, some exciting news is Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7 covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every single league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Suns, Brendan Clean, who you can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Suns. And Brendan, we got the the faded day finally arrived. We got a look at the Suns' big three in action. A short-lived kind of preview, I guess, of the big three. They played a couple games together, and then Bradley Beal suffers the ankle injury five minutes into the game against the Knicks, so he'll be out for another. So what's the current uh, you know evaluation timetable? It's three weeks, four weeks that he's going to be out for yeah the latest reporting the team hasn't said anything but it sounds like two to three weeks judging from our, our local beat writer over here so yeah another sustained absence for uh beal who just finished a three-week shutdown for uh, his back issue yeah well so well, let's go through just you know we got to look at the the big three playing together how did they kind of look just in their debut against the warriors yeah, very rocky. I mean, I, I think overall in terms of playing together, but at the same time, I think the Suns, they had an offensive rating in the game on Wednesday night against Brooklyn that was higher than their season average. Uh, they won the minutes when all three were on the court, which was about 20 in that game. And all three guys shot better than 50% from the field, had four plus assists and the turnovers, they kept them in check, which has been a, a problem for them as an offense this year. So if if you had just looked at that and said, all right, and, and there will be 60 more of these, I would have felt great about how the, pro the progress could go from there. But, you know, with another setback for Beal and, you know, games piling up now, I think the injury on, on Friday night ends up just being a, a situation where I think you have to treat it a little bit as let's figure out Booker and Durant. Let's figure out the rotation and sort of put some of the big three imagination uh, to bed for a little while. Because if you keep treating that as when the season's going to finally start, you're going to be halfway through it before that happens at this point. Yeah. I, I mean, at least when, when they did get a chance to be on the court with one another, did it feel you said it felt rocky. I mean, is this a thing where there's a lot of, I know it's only a two game sample size now to look at very limited minutes, but does it at least feel, does it feel like there's a world where, okay, when Beal is finally healthy, he's, he can be plug and play and it's going to be easy for these three to figure it out. Or was there a world where you're like, no, there's, 
there's going to be some growing pains for these three, and it's not as simple as just get Beal healthy and it's going to work. I think in the regular season, it'll work pretty well right away. And I I think that's what you saw on Wednesday because, again, it was they didn't play together outside of one preseason game. And it wasn't like this was a rest situation. So obviously they weren't getting practice time together either. And yet those numbers I listed in their overall offensive performance was pretty solid right away. So yeah, I think they'll be able to be efficient, be productive, win games, pile up a lot of points together when they're all healthy, no matter when that ends up happening. But I think, you know, bigger picture, longer term, and this is still a team that wants to win a championship as weird of a thing that might be to say at, you know, the 25 game mark here with them being around 500, they, they're going to need, uh, you know, plan, plan B, C and D in a playoff series. They're going to need sets that they go to and on a team also that doesn't really have a traditional point guard who is, you know, orchestrating everything from start to finish in a game, like a Nikola Jokic or a Luka Doncic or a LeBron James in the Western conference, it would have been really valuable. And whenever it happens, it will be really valuable for them to just get reps of who's initiating and how, and what's the comfort level there. How do you get all these guys to play fast, which this team has been just like in mud all season long with how slow they're playing. All those things would have been really important. Hopefully there will still be time to figure them out, but yeah, you're going to be able to win still, but I think the best version of this team and, all the things that they're going to need to to be ready for come postseason time, that's what you're losing, I think, with with them out. Yeah, you mentioned there a moment ago might having to kind of pivot, I guess, to a bit a bit of a plan B, right? Make it more about how do we make Booker and Durant work together, right? Just focus on the two that are healthy, the two that are you know available on a nightly basis. I mean, at what point though, how significant does the concern become? Because at this rate. You know, Beal makes it back. You've got about maybe a month to figure out to kind of assess any, you know, major weaknesses on the roster to see the chemistry of these guys together before the trade deadline hits to maybe shore up any of those potential weaknesses on the roster. At what point do you have to just decide, okay, you know, if Beal can get healthy, cool, but we have to focus on the team that we have available right now. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the things I think I want to see in this stretch from the Suns, regardless of Beal being out, is... And, and it speaks to the mentality that I'm hoping that they have of being done waiting for that. Because, you know, on Friday against the Knicks, and I understand Beal leaving the game ended up a, a, a very quick adjustment that you have to deal with, and Eric Gordon was still out in that game. But they have to just settle on a rotation, settle on a style of play, settle on a an identity from a size standpoint, all these different things that, it's it's just excuse time is kind of over, I think, for this team. And and not that they've been making excuses for their losses, but they've been making excuses for the lack of stability. It, you just need to create the stability and then hope that Beal can just plug into that as you continue this season. From a trade standpoint, they don't have a lot to get to, to trade themselves right now, no matter what. So they're probably not looking at anything significant. But we also know some of the needs that this team has. I think... You know, their their front court depth has been a problem. I think that if you could get another playmaker who could at least kind of dribble and pass, like that would go a long way towards stabilizing things as we talked about a minute ago. So maybe they can start to look at moves like that regardless of of uh, of Beal's availability. 
but it's not going to give them a lot of time before the deadline. But even really now, now big picture with the season, you're talking about, you know, January 1st or so, four months. And even then, that's if you're fully healthy the rest of the way. It, it is going to be even more condensed than we could have thought for this team to figure it out. What's been the biggest issue so far defensively for the Suns team? And is there a world where, like, what, what needs to happen for the Suns team to maybe even crack, like, middle of the pack defensively? Is there a world where they can improve and become a good defensive team? Or is the identity just going to have to be, they've got to outgun their opponents? Well, that is going to be the identity, but they also have to get better on defense. There's not not really a team that you can point to that was really championship caliber that had a, a defense hovering around 20th in the league. That's just not going to be good enough. And what the biggest issue has been is they don't take away the paint and they don't defend well in transition. And those are two things that Vogel teams have have done. And they, uh, I mean, these numbers fluctuate, but they're basically bottom 10 in terms of opponent at-rim frequency and at-rim efficiency. And that's tracked most of the year. That That's not really like a, a recent trend by any means. So that has to change. They don't do themselves any favors with transition defense by themselves turning the ball over as an offense so much, but you know that is what it is. You have to clean that up. And rebounding. I mean, uh, they've been a pretty good offensive rebounding team, but they've also allowed a lot of that themselves. So, you know, Vogel teams like to take that away. I don't think this team has the perfect personnel to do that, but I think if you do settle into more of a clear rotation night to night, you can start to work in, you know, is it a zone? Is it really aggressive help is it you know executing team specific game plans at a higher level and just being maybe more prepared than your opponent that's where i think coaching can help but because of their lack of cohesion and continuity and availability of of their best players and it's not just beal or duran or booker like gordon somebody i already mentioned has missed games here and there he's you know in his mid-30s grayson allen recently missed a stretch so it's really their whole top eight outside of like yusuf nurkic has missed a lot of time. If they can get players back, wait for Beal, leave that in the distance, don't even think about it. Say, here's our eight or nine that we're going to play every night. Here's what we need to execute. I think that they can start to turn a little bit of a corner on defense, but what they're doing now is just not cutting it, even when they do score a bunch of points. Will the Suns be able to change their approach now that the big three gets put on the back burner yet again this season? Can they get things turned around defensively and crack into at least, you know, top half of the league defensively, middle of the pack at, at worst? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Suns. Brendan, thanks for stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thank you. Coming up, Keegan Murray's crazy night for the Sacramento Kings. 47 points, 12 three-pointers. Just how important has he been for the Kings this season, and how much better can he become as a player? We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel because right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins and all you have to do is wager $5. It's that easy. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use and there's a wide range of betting options. They've got spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. Right now, you can even take a look at the outright betting favor 
favorites for Super Bowl 58 as the NFL season is winding down. Just go visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started this NFL season. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started this NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. Be sure to stay tuned in throughout the entire week here at Locked On NBA with our rotating panel of hosts as we have you covered for all of the NBA action, including Matt Moore and David Ramil on Tuesdays, John Corrales and Jake Madison on Wednesdays, Nick Angstead and Pat the Designer on Thursdays, and Adam Mares and Wes Goldberg on Fridays. Joining us now is the host of Locked on Kings, Matt George. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked on Kings. And Matt, Keegan Murray with an insane performance Saturday night against the Utah Jazz. 47 points, 12 made three-pointers, just too shy of the record held by Clay Thompson. Walk us through that crazy, insane shooting performance from Keegan Murray. Yeah, it's one of the craziest nights of, of basketball that I've ever watched. And I mean, just add it to the list of memories that the Sacramento Kings have made, not just over the last couple of seasons since they've really uh, risen to relevancy again, but but really just over even the playoff drought. Like the Kings have sprinkled in some major moments already in the young life of the Golden One Center. And, and Keegan Murray's night last night might be at the top of the list or, or, or darn close to the top of the list. I mean, uh, an NBA record, 11 straight three-pointers made. He was unstoppable uh, in that third quarter where uh, he, it is not just that he he scored and hit 12 three-pointers. I mean, he shattered franchise record after franchise record after franchise record. He topped Buddy Heald for most threes in a game. Uh, he, he topped Mitch Richmond for most threes in a quarter in, in Kings history. He topped both Harrison Barnes and Omri Caspi uh, for, for most uh, uh, threes in a quarter. I mean, it was just one of those absolutely unbelievable hot streak shooting performances that regardless of the team you're rooting for. Now, this is easy for me to say from the Kings perspective and as a massive Keegan Murray fan, and I was a huge Keegan Murray fan before the Kings drafted him. It's one of those performances where regardless of who you're rooting for, if you call yourself a basketball fan, you call yourself a sports fan, you just sit back, watch, and appreciate someone who is just that on fire. And what's amazing is, and I think this speaks to the Sacramento Kings offense in general, is someone who is shooting that well should not be getting the open looks that Keegan Murray was getting last night. And I give full credit to Demata Sabonis, to uh, Malik Monk, and the rest of the Kings pieces that were on the floor. Because not only did they continue to find Keegan, but they did what they had to do to make sure Keegan had the space to to work and the space to go off. And, and Keegan's big night overshadowed what was a dominant performance from DeMontis Sabonis, who for the second time this season against the Jazz made Walker Kessler look like a, a G League player. They th- tried throwing Kelly Olynyk at him. That was an absolute embarrassment for the Utah Jazz. Like, there was nothing the Jazz could do against Domas. He set the tone, and then Keegan Murray drove it home with his 47. You know, I want to know, Keegan Murray was a guy that, you know, I think coming out, right, and, and I, I, this happens a lot with players coming out the draft right you get thrown like kind of a a label or something I I thought he was more or less like the met the most like kind of ready to go player of the bunch from his draft class kind of plug and play right three and d type personality but at times I feel like players maybe get painted into a corner with like a player archetype or something what's the kind of the next step in Keegan Murray's game that you're hoping to see from him moving forward you know through the rest of this season 
Well, I'm going to answer that question in a second because I want to go back to what you said about the draft. And look, it's very difficult to be correct about the draft. People are wrong every single year. God knows I've been wrong about draft picks in the past, and the Kings certainly have been wrong a lot about draft picks. But so many people fall in love with athleticism and label athleticism as upside compared to players like Keegan Murray who are just very fundamentally sound. And the, the, the takes around Keegan Murray were that he was a safe pick. He, but not worthy of a top four talent. You have to go for Jaden Ivey in that spot because Jaden Ivey has all this incredible upside. Well, in really, reality, Jaden Ivey just had an awesome mixed take of uh, tape of jumps or dunks rather, and could jump out of the gym. I think so jumps. Is, people... I think jumps is still technically right there, but <laughs> yeah, and, and I get it. Like Jaden Ivey's, uh, like he's he's a flashy player. He's exciting. He's being wasted away with one of the worst teams we've ever seen in the Detroit Pistons. I'm not br- blaming Jaden for that, but look, like. Uh, it's time for people to kind of eat those words a little bit. And Keegan Murray deserves to take that victory lap too. Now Keegan's not going to do the talking himself. So allow myself and others to do it for him. Like Keegan uh, was undermined coming out of college. I mean, he's dealt with that throughout his entire college career. He, he, he worked his way into a position at Iowa where he could have the opportunity to, to shine. So uh, to answer your initial question though, Jackson, he comes to the end uh, or he's at this NBA level now where he's already statistically established himself as the best defender on the Sacramento Kings. And last night was proof that, okay, he can play at a high level on the defensive end and still make a major impact offensively. He's been shooting, his shooting struggles have lasted pretty consistently throughout this season so far. It was nice to see him have a breakout night like that. He's certainly not going to have 12 three-pointers most nights that he plays, but Keegan is a guy that you have to constantly worry about knocking down four or five three-pointers any given night. He's a guy that can go for 20 any night if he if he wants to and if the shot is falling. And on top of that, he's the guy that's going to lock up your best forward, your best wing, and sometimes even your best guard on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, so Keegan just being one of those patented two-way wings that can shoot the you-know-what out of the ball that everybody in the league wants, that's Keegan's archetype i suppose in the nba so is it fair to i mean like at this point what is what kind of feels like murray's ceiling like is there a world where he blossoms into best player on the team type thing one day or do you not think that's his like his role i guess as as long as De'Aaron fox is in sacramento keegan murray will never be the the best player on the team and that's okay the kings look at keegan murray as the third piece of that big three and the kings very much believe that keegan murray is an all-star caliber player so his ceiling i think is an all-star player and not a a, an all-star that is necessarily starting or someone who's taken the world by storm, but one of those all-stars that you see make one, two, three all-star games at times over the course of their career. Someone who comes in off the bench in an all-star game, but during the regular season is just that piece that when you're looking at championship teams and teams that are making deep playoff runs, you're so worried about star this and star that. Well, here's this third option that just kills you on the perimeter that locks you down defensively and maybe one or two games during a best of seven series uh, can, can, lead the team in scoring and, and and help bring a team a championship. That's what Keegan Murray is, or at least that's what the Kings believe Keegan Murray to be. You know, I found this kind of semi-interesting stat. I'm curious to see if, if either you picked up on this already or if, uh, if, if this is not as interesting as I think it is. The Kings have only lost to four teams this season. Mm-hmm. It's kind of yep. a weird, like, like I was just like, you know, the, like the kind of rough start, right? You missed Aaron Fox for a handful of games and you lose the, the back-to-back Warriors matchups. Then you lose back-to-back against Houston in Houston. It's kind of like, oh man, under 500, what's going on? And then they rip off like there was the five, six game win streak and all things are fine. But it's been 
the Warriors a couple times, the Rockets a couple times, the Pelicans three times, and the Clippers twice. They've played yep. 15 teams. They've only lost to those four, though, the, which totals their nine losses. Is there, like, a common denominator across these teams, Matt, something that you can draw a line to to say there's something that these teams did specifically that really bothered the Kings or kind of a common denominator between these that's, like, maybe a weakness of the Kings that got exposed? Yeah, these four teams, they present matchup issues for Sacramento. And and Sacramento really struggles with physical, athletic wings. Keegan Murray's trying to guard as many of them as possible, but that is one thing that all four of those teams, maybe with the exception of the Golden State Warriors, because the Warriors kind of jumped on the Kings early when Sacramento was trying to figure some things out. Um, but when it comes to the Rockets, certainly when it comes to the Pelicans, if they can stay healthy, and now the Los Angeles Clippers, if they're able to stay, stay healthy, are teams that just have a lot of wing depth that offensively gives the Kings defense struggles, and the Kings defense is still slowly trying to improve from one of the worst in the league to hopefully league average, which they're making their way there. But on top of that, those teams present a lot of problems for Sacramento defensively, too, where they almost force the Kings into taking a boatload of threes. Now, look, the Kings are undefeated. They're 10-0 and this season when they shoot 36% or, uh, percent or higher from three-point range. So the Kings, they don't necessarily live or die by the three-point shot, but if the three-pointer is fall, uh, pointer's falling, the, this team is basically unguardable. But what teams like the Rockets, granted, they did it without De'Aaron Fox, but still it was impressive. Um, the the, the uh, New Orleans Pelicans especially is they they pack the paint and they make it difficult for Fox and Sabonis and even Malik Monk to do what Mike Brown calls paint touches and spraying. That's a pillar of Mike's offense is attacking the basket, touching the paint, and then spraying out to the perimeter to that open shot. And Sacramento against those teams has settled far too much on kind of chuck it up. Gotta have it three pointers because the inside was, was being cut off and, and muddied up so much by teams like the Pelicans uh, and the Clippers. Can Keegan Murray's shot stay hot after a bit of an inconsistent start from the uh, from the three-point line this season? And can the Kings figure out some of their woes against those four teams specifically? Thankfully, they don't have to play them too many more times this year. You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Kings. Matt, thanks for stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Always a pleasure, Jackson. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.